Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Hey, good morning and welcome to The Grove. I'm excited for you to be with us this morning as we kick off a brand new sermon series called Faith Works. This is a look into and a study of the book of James. Now, the book of James is one of my favorites in all of scripture because of how real world applicable what James offers is for us in everyday life. He takes you know, common scenarios, common issues, common problems that we all experience and that we all find ourselves in day in, day out. And he gives us practical advice for how to navigate those and live a life of faith throughout it. Now, what makes James unique, in my opinion, is James is the half-brother of Jesus. Now, that's nothing special other than the fact that throughout the entirety of Jesus' life and ministry, James actually didn't believe his brother was the Son of God. Now, this is funny to me because I'm a pastor and I have a brother, and I can only imagine what it would take for me to try to convince my brother that I'm the son of God. Now listen, trust me, I'm God. And he's like, yeah, I I see you every day behind the scenes when the cameras aren't on and people aren't around. You are clearly not the son of God. So it's a little funny to me because there would not be any amount of action, any amount of money that I could have or give or use to leverage and convince my brother that I was the Messiah and the chosen one. He knows I'm not. But it's funny that James goes through this similar struggle. So through the entirety of Jesus' life and ministry, James kind of has this opinion, and it talks about it elsewhere in Scripture, that he's kind of got this weird, strange, crazy brother. And at times, James and the rest of his family go to get Jesus to bring him home because it's like, Jesus, cut it out. Stop it. We don't really know what you're doing. You're saying some weird things. We hear about these magic tricks you're doing, and it's all a little strange and confusing. And then Jesus is arrested, and he's crucified. And he's buried. And then three days later, he's resurrected. And he appears to a group of his followers along the shore. And then later at a town for a different meal. And it's upon that moment, upon Jesus' resurrection, that James becomes convinced that his brother is truly the Son of God. And so there's this pivot and this shift in James's life. And so he goes from being this person who has this weird brother saying strange things to someone who is fully and absolutely convinced that his brother was God's son. And so what James does is he begins to lead the church in Jerusalem. And he does so for several decades and kind of towards the end of his time leading this church, kind of the central, kind of most prominent church in all of this new movement called Christianity, James begins to write some advice. It's a little different than what Paul has written in the letters that Paul's written because Paul writes to specific churches dealing with specific problems. That's why some of Paul's letters sound strange because he brings up these unusual topics that at that moment were very relevant to what they were navigating and going through. James does something different. He writes just a general letter, just a general discourse with the hope and intent that would be, it would be distributed around to all of the churches in Christianity. And so his tone and the, and the tone of his letter takes on a very kind of general sense, and it's applicable to all of these different dimensions and categories and areas. But the goal of James's letter is really simple. He's trying to encourage people to live out a life of faith. Now, what's interesting is 
some of the letters in Scripture and some of the books of the Bible, they concern themselves with what we're supposed to think. Here's how you're supposed to think about things. Here's how you're supposed to believe. You know, it's oriented around right thinking. If you think the right things and understand the right things and have the right knowledge and belief in, then that's really important, and they focus on those things. But James takes a different approach. His is more focused on the way that that belief filters through your entire life and manifests in your actions. James wants to see how what you believe um, translates into what you do. Because James is noticing in this new movement called Christianity that lots of people are coming and beginning to believe in this person of Jesus. They're beginning to recognize, as James recognized, that, oh, he was the Son of God, and what he had to say does change the way that I think about my life and think about my relationships and think about how I want to live. But James was noticing a gap between what people were believing and how people were living. And so James writes this letter to address the gap, to talk about the ways that people can live a fully integrated life of faith. Now, I think it's perfect that we're starting this sermon series on the book of James coming off of Halloween, because Halloween is one of my favorite holidays just for what I get to watch and observe. I love all of the trick-or-treaters that come to my house or who participate in trunks or treats and show up with their families and they're decorated in their costumes. But particularly the kids that I most enjoy and I, and I you know, love watching most are the ones who don't just dress up as a particular character. Maybe they don't just dress up as Spider-Man, but once they don the costume and they put on the mask, they actually become Spider-Man. And they are convinced that they are this person. They are this character. They are this hero. And it doesn't have to be Spider-Man. It could be any number of characters. But I love the ones that fully embody what they wear on the outside. And so they show up and they're jumping around and they're doing the poses. And you know, they're shooting the webs and all of the different things. And I love it because they've committed to the role. They fully bought in to what it is that they're claiming to be, who they're claiming to be. Now, I like this because I, I was similar in that way when I was a kid. I oftentimes would put on costumes and fully adopt the role and commit to who whatever it was I was pretending to be at that time. There was a period of my life um, that my parents like to tell around dinner tables and mixed company that there was a period where for several years I believed that I was the, the movie character Howard the Duck. I don't know why, and if you've ever seen that movie, I apologize, it's terrible, but this character, Howard the Duck, was kind of this anthropomorphic two-foot-tall duck that comes from another world and enters Earth, and if you're like, this sounds like a really strange movie, it was a really strange movie. It was actually a Spielberg and George Lucas film, but that's, I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyway, the point was, I believed that I was Howard the Duck, and I would introduce myself as Howard to people at church or at the grocery store or wherever it was, because I fully believed that I was Howard the Duck. Now, what's the point of all this? The point of all of this is similar to the way that, you know, we adopt a role or pretend to be something and fully commit to that role, whether it's a little kid pretending to be Spider-Man or me in my childhood pretending to be Howard the Duck, this is what James is talking about in this letter that he sends to all of these Christians. This is about, you know, the advice and the encouragement that he's trying to give people. He's saying, listen, don't just don a costume. Don't just put on this facade in a moment or this period of time, but this is actually something that you have to fully commit to. This should permeate and integrate into every category, into every space of your life. It would you know, maybe work in similar ways to this. It would be like this. 
So this is not uh, my Halloween costume from yesterday, but this is actually one of my robes and stoles that I wear at specific religious functions or occasions. It's not like pastors have to wear this when they get together to hang out with other pastors. It's not like that. But really, these are this is kind of the outfit and the attire that I wear in certain religious moments. Now, particularly uh, around weddings and funerals, particularly in more traditional sanctuaries with the stained glass and the pipe organ and all of that. This feels a little out of place. Maybe you're like, this is a little strange to see Stephen in kind of a robe and stole. It feels a little weird sometimes to wear it as well. But the point is, when I put this on, for right or for wrong, people treat me differently. I can walk down the halls and people kind of move out of the way or people step back. There's an awe and a reverence that's given when I put this on. But imagine if I kept this on all of the time and then I started to do things that seemed out of character for someone who was wearing this outfit. Now, most of the time when I wear this, I'm standing behind a pulpit and I'm delivering a message or reading a prayer or you know, quoting scripture, doing something that fits with the attire and the outfit that I'm wearing. But imagine if I went to the grocery store and you saw me in my robe and stole and I was at the grocery store and I was like cutting people off at the checkout line and I was being a bully or kind of being cruel or unkind to someone or you saw me you know wearing this and I was out in public and I was cutting somebody off in traffic or you know maybe I walk into a bank and I'm like you know give me all your money the actions wouldn't fit the attire that's the point I'm trying to make it would seem really strange for somebody to be dressed this way doing something that didn't seem consistent and aligned with who they're claiming to be by wearing this outfit this is the point that James is trying to make in his book, and this is kind of what we'll see him say again and again and again throughout the different parts and sections of this, you know, this letter that James writes to the churches. He's saying, listen, Christian faith should function like this robe. You put it on, and it should influence the way that you live. It should influence the way that you think. It should influence the way that you behave. It should factor into the decisions that you make in your life, the nature of your relationships, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, where you go or where you don't go, who you spend time with, who you don't spend time with. All of this should influence who you are in every category of your life. James talks about being a fully integrated follower of Jesus Christ. This isn't just something that you put on on Sundays it's like if we all had a robe and stole in our closet, and it's like, oh, church is about to start. Let's go put the robe on. And then we put the robe on, and then we show up, and then we go through the motions of what it means to be somebody who wears this thing. And then, oh, church is over, and we come home, and we take it off, and then we go about the rest of our lives. Now, the sad reality is a lot of us actually live this way. It's easy to kind of live this way where church and faith is something that you apply to a specific area, to a specific section or segment of your life. During certain hours, you operate in this manner. Right before a meal, head down, here we go, and then the conversation at the meal has no connection or relationship to the prayer that you said before the meal. Or, you know, this is one of my favorites, when people show up to church and they're all kind and polite in church and then as they're driving home from church, they're honking and maybe they're giving the, you know, the one finger wave to people and it's like, no, 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 we're not consistent in the way that we're living and acting. It's not just supposed to be something that we apply to a specific time period or a specific moment. This life of faith, this belief, this following of Jesus is something that's supposed to permeate every aspect of our lives. And so let's go ahead and jump into what James actually says because he takes us through 
several different areas where this is particularly difficult to keep the robe on, to keep our faith intact, to allow it to permeate this part of our life. There's several different sections of our life where James says it's particularly difficult to maintain this. And so he gives us specific guidance and instructions for how to do it. Okay, well, in case you were wondering, I was not going to keep the robe on the entire time. But we are still turning to the book of James, and we're going to be in the first chapter of James, starting with the second verse. Now, if you are on our online platform for Church Online this morning, there's a Bible tab that you can click that allows you to follow along with us if you want to read it for yourself, to have it there next to the screen while I'm talking about it. But if you don't want to do that, or if you're listening on a podcast this morning or watching later in the week, then I will be happy to do all of the heavy lifting for you and read it. So this is what James says right out of the gate. He says, My brothers and sisters, think of the various trials you will encounter as occasions for joy. Now, James jumps in both feet first and talks about one of the more difficult areas that we find ourselves in, Uh, particularly in how it relates to what it means to be a person of faith, to live a fully integrated life of faith, uh, to follow Jesus holistically in every part of our lives. And he says, think about the various trials that you're going to encounter. Now, what's interesting about what what James says here in this moment is he says that there's going to be various trials and there's a promise in in James's words. He says that you will encounter Not the the various trials that you might encounter or the various trials if you happen to be unfortunate that that you're going to encounter or the various trials if you make some bad choices that you're going to encounter. He says, no, no, no. There's a promise ahead of you in this life. There will be trials that you will encounter of a various sort in nature. Now, this year is the easiest proof that what James is talking about is true. None of this was predictable. And maybe for many of us, COVID is not the only trial that we're facing during this time period. And so this can cover a whole host of things. Maybe it's illness. Maybe it's job loss. Maybe it's relationship distress. Maybe it's just some type of physical infamy, you know, that you're dealing with. Maybe it's just the sense of general anxiety and dread that you have about life. Or maybe it's loneliness or maybe it's depression. I mean, it could be anything. It could be really small, and it could be like, oh, you stubbed your toe today. Or it could be huge and massive, and you lost someone that you really loved and cared about. They all fall under this category of various trials. And James is saying, listen, you need to think about these occasions, these various trials. They're actually an occasion for joy. And what's interesting is he says, think of them as an occasion for joy, So not only does he promise that we will encounter trials, but James is saying that we actually have a choice when we face and encounter these trials. We actually have a choice about how we think about them. We have a choice about how we experience them and the meaning that we allow them to create in our lives. You see, there could be a whole host of things that we think about or the ways that we think of the encounters that we face, but James is saying that we need to focus and think of these things as occasions for joy. And he explains why in a second. But I think it's important, first and foremost, that we recognize that as people of faith, we do have a choice about how we frame the encounters and the trials that we experience. We do have a choice in the way that we navigate life. 
This isn't a promise that life is going to always be rainbows and butterflies and cupcakes. That's not what this is saying. And again and again and again, I see proof in Scripture that that's not what Scripture promises us, that if you believe in Jesus Christ that your life is easy. No, I think what it says is that when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you face difficult things, there's a way to see it through. There's a way to navigate it. There's a way to endure whatever it is that you face. And that's where James goes this morning. But the promise is that they are coming, that they will happen to all of us, irrespective of person. We will all experience encounters and trials of various types. But there's a choice that we have before us as to how we think of them. And I think that's one of the things, as I look at the world around us, that's one of the things that causes me kind of the most concern is the lack of choice that's being made when we navigate difficulty. There are all sorts of things that are hard in life right now. And depending on where you fall on uh, certain issues or political stances or ideology or belief systems, you have a different reaction to what is or isn't happening and what will or won't happen in the next couple of days. You know, in the next couple of days, there's going to be a whole group of us who are going to be really happy. And then there's going to be another whole group of us who are going to be really unhappy. And then there's probably going to be a group in the middle who are never going to be happy no matter what happened. And so there's all sorts of meaning making that's happening. But what I notice and what troubles me most is particularly when it comes to Christians, people of faith, and the way that we kind of catastrophize what's happening in the world around us whether it's in our own lives or whether it's on a national or, you know, kind of global level. But we see the problems of the world. We, we see the trials that we are encountering and experiencing. And we think that it's the end of the world. We, we become doom and gloom prophets that things have never been worse and things are never going to get better. And woe is us and this is terrible and this is awful. Now what James is saying isn't to ignore the realities of life. James isn't telling us to ignore the ways that life is hard. James isn't telling us to ignore the pain that you feel in your life or the disappointment or the, you know, the disencouragement that you feel. James isn't saying ignore those things. But he's saying when you experience trials of various kinds, think about them in a different way. You have a choice in the way that you navigate hardship. You have a choice in the way that you navigate challenge and adversity. You do not have to take kind of this pessimistic, kind of dystopian perspective about what's happening in the world. There's a different way forward. And James says, you can take these moments and you can think of them as occasions for joy. Now, why would they be occasions for joy? Well, James goes on to explain. In verse 3, he says, after all, you know that the testing of your faith, it produces steadfastness. What James is saying here is that anytime we, we navigate or we experience something difficult, anytime we go through hardship, it is an opportunity for us to rely on our faith more. It is an opportunity for us to depend on our faith, to trust more in God, to lean not in our own understanding, to lean not in our own abilities, to lean not in the things of this world that we place our hope and our trust in, to not rely on our wealth or our position or our authority or power or the nature of our relationships and how well connected we are, those are easy things for us to place our hope and trust in. But inevitably, inevitably, there will be some type of trial that we will experience. There will be some difficulty and hardship in life that proves to be too difficult for those things that we placed our hope and trust in. And inevitably, they give way. I think this has been one of the big kind of psychological impacts of COVID. There was so much of our life where we felt like we were so in control. 
where we had everything together, we had our arms around it, we are people who are used to being in charge and in control and capable in every moment. And then something came that was bigger and more powerful than any of the other things that we typically place our hope and trust in, with the exception of one thing. And James is saying that should be your faith in God. And so these difficult moments, these trials that we encounter, they are opportunities for joy because they test us. They challenge us. They show us where maybe we haven't been depending on God as much as we need to. They show us the ways where we have placed other things as greater importance or greater authority in our lives than our faith in God. And James is saying, when your faith is tested, when you struggle, when you navigate these difficult moments, it produces, and he uses this word, it produces steadfastness. Now, what this word steadfastness means is it, it really just means faithfulness regardless of circumstances. It means faithfulness regardless of whatever happens in life. And again, this isn't this kind of you know, naive Pollyanna-ish, that everything's going to be fine. It's recognizing that even in the worst moments, even in the most difficult times of our lives, even in the midst of loss and suffering, that we still have faith, that we still trust in God, that God is at work in the world and that God is at work in our world and that we're not going to waver in our actions. We're not going to waver in our belief. We're not going to waver in the things that we've committed to. We're not going to waver in our priorities or in our values or in the way that we spend our resources. We're not going to all of a sudden jump ship and abort mission because life gets hard. James is saying no in these moments. You should celebrate the opportunity that you have to test your faith even more. Because the more that your faith is tested, the more that you have to endure, the more that you have the opportunity to become steadfast. Now we all know somebody like this. Somebody who's experienced horrific circumstances, unspeakable tragedy, tragedy, unimaginable loss, and yet they've emerged through it, or they are emerging through it now, these people of unbelievable steadfastness, their faith has not wavered admit all of the circumstances and the uncertainty that they're experiencing in life. And we look at them and we marvel. And James is saying this is the picture of how we are all supposed to live and act. That when the ground below us shakes and the things around us give way, that we can ready ourselves and steady ourselves and remain people of faith and hope and trust. And so James keeps going in verse 4. He says, listen, let this steadfastness, let this faithfulness amongst all circumstances, let this steadfastness have its full effect. Let it work you all the way through so that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. Now this word perfect that James uses here is a word that he's going to use again and again and again throughout this letter that he writes that we're going to look at over the next several weeks. And this word perfect, it just means wholeness. It means completeness. It's the idea that we don't just put on the robe when it's convenient. We don't just dress up as Spider-Man on Halloween, but no, this is, you know, an entire lifestyle. Our faith permeates every aspect of our lives, not just Sunday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., but we are faithful people regardless of our circumstances, in every moment, in the good, the bad, the hard, and all of the ones in between. James is saying, 
that the more you rely on your faith during difficult moments, the more that you trust in God when it feels hard and difficult and you're uncertain and unsure of how the circumstances are going to resolve, James is saying it's in those moments that you become more resilient and you have a more robust faith, this steadfastness that begins to permeate every aspect of your life. It's not just that you're steadfast and sure-footed in certain areas with business decisions or maybe with your relationships or, you know, in the way that you parent. But no, 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 no. This steadfastness, this ability to be faithful despite circumstances will permeate every aspect of your life. So it doesn't matter from which side that you're attacked. It doesn't matter from which side that you experience trials, that you encounter hardship. James is saying there's a way that you can be a person of faith that is complete, that is whole, that is fully integrated, that every aspect and in, in quality and characteristic of your life aligns with what you believe and aligns with your faith in God. And James is saying that this is what we're supposed to be. This is the way that we're supposed to live. But that there's an alternative. And he describes this alternative as someone who is like the waves of the ocean, tossed about to and fro. And I think that that's a pretty good picture of what I see when I look at the world right now. People who are being tossed about from one opinion to one belief to one ideology to one political party to one leader to one politician, back and forth, back and forth, always changing, always waffling, this fickle style of living where they don't know where to put their trust and they place their trust in all of these different things until that thing disappoints or fails and then they find a new thing and they're constantly searching and they're constantly you know, giving allegiance to all of these different things in their lives. And I think the result of that type of living is the same that you could imagine if that you were lost at sea in a little boat without a motor or sails. You're at the mercy of whatever is happening around you. You're battered and you're beat up. You're anxious, you're fearful. You're lost and you're concerned because you don't seem to have any stability, any security in that moment or in your life. And I think some of the you know, psychological angst and pain and emotional pain that we see in our world right now is because of this very thing. It's because of people who are being tossed about to and fro like waves in the ocean. And James is saying, you don't have to live this way. There's a choice for you. There's a different alternative for your life. It doesn't have to go this way. You can be a person of faith. You can allow your faith to inform how you experience difficulties. It's not that you ignore them. It's not that you minimize them, but that you recognize that in the midst of our difficulties that we can trust in God in greater measure. We can trust in God that God will be there, that God will see us through, that it may not resolve the way that we want and the prayer may not be answered in the, name, in the way and in the timing that we ask for, but that ultimately that God is leading us to a place of goodness and fullness and completeness in Him. And this is, this is kind of how James ends this particular section. In verse 12, he says, Those who are steadfast during testing, they are blessed. They are tried and true. And this idea of being blessed, it really just means that they experience the fullness and the wholeness of life, that they have life in full measure. James goes on, he says, they will receive the life God has promised. To those who love him, this will be their reward. James doesn't promise us easy living. He doesn't promise us the avoidance of difficulty, 
or pain or sorrow or loss. But what James tells us is that in the midst of these difficult moments, there is a way that we can move forward. There's a choice that we can make in how we think about what we're experiencing. Maybe you find yourself right now in a period that feels unbelievably difficult. Maybe you find yourself in the most difficult moment of your life, the most difficult season that you've ever been in. And you don't have all of the answers. And you don't have all of the insight as to how you're going to get out of this or when this moment in time will resolve or what the conclusion will be or how you'll ever get to the end of it. Maybe this is the exact moment you find yourself in. What James is saying is that there is a life of blessing, of fullness, of richness, an abundant measure available to you. Not at the cessation of the circumstances that you find yourself in, but present in the middle of this difficulty. And you can have that when you think about these opportunities or these circumstances as opportunities for your faith to be challenged and tested. It's a way of framing everything as good. This allows me to trust in God more. Oh, I lost my job? Good. This allows me to recognize that it's not always up to me in the work of my two hands. Oh, the relationship ended? Well, good. This is an opportunity for me to learn and to grow more about who God is calling me to be in this particular type of relationship. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, whatever the difficulty that we're navigating, what if we looked at it and we said, good, this is an opportunity for me to rely on God and more and more and more. Our faith doesn't have to be something that we pull out of the closet and that we put on in certain moments when life gets hardest or when we go to church. It doesn't have to be something that we wear around certain people or in certain company, but our faith can be something that we live with and live through each and every day that draws us closer to God, allows us to trust in God more, even in the midst of uncertainty and difficulty. And by doing so, we're able to find the blessing of life that God promises all of us. That's my hope and prayer for us as a people and as a church, that we would be willing to be people of resilient faith, people who place our hope and trust in God, despite the circumstances and despite the uncertainty that we experience. Let me pray for our time together this morning. Gracious and heavenly God, I thank you so much for this morning and this chance to gather together. God, we also thank you for this extra hour of sleep. It was wonderful. And we recognize that you are the source of all good things in our life, big and small. So God, help us to be people who trust in you in difficult times, who lean into our faith, knowing that you are there in the midst of it, that you are there in the midst of all of the hard and all of the bad and all of the lonely and all of the times in between that you are calling us to a life of blessing and fulfillment in you. God, we love you and we're grateful for the way that you love us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Well, friends, as we close our service, we'll do so the way that we do each and every week with a reminder and a blessing to each of us. It's a reminder that the church is not the building and it's not the service, but it's the way that we live our faith out in the world, in the midst of good times and in the midst of hard times and all of the times in between that we would be people who are perfected in our faith, who live wholly integrated lives, that our faith is a part of every decision, every action, every thought, every word, and every choice that we make. So let's say these words together, loud and proud together, wherever you find yourself this morning. May the peace of Christ go with us wherever he may send us. May he guide us through the wilderness and protect us through the storm. May our lives be used to share the love that Christ has shown us. May he gather us together once again into these doors. We love you. We hope you have a great week.
Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.